Seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride an illegal trip. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. is a Chinese Italian. Here's the snowboarders together on a run. You're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you brag around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know? Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisper, ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, celebrating the core lords, and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and Great Basin. Today is August 31st, 2023, and you're listening to episode number 19. And by the way, thanks for listening. Help spread the word, will you? If you like what you're hearing, please do us a favor and leave Mind the Track a rating and review and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Got feedback or a core lord we should chat with? Drop us a line at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com, at mindthetrack on Instagram, and mindthetrack.com, our website. Of course, always beside me is the professore of the papau, the director of the Powder Intelligence Agency, and a new nickname... Mr. Dr. Pow, <laughs> Murder Pow, M-R-D-R-P-O-W, his new vanity plate, Powbot. Murder Pow. Murder Pow, what, M-R-D-R Pow. What's good? Oh, your license plates yeah. is what's good. Well, I got to wait for it. Well, the, the, the state of Nevada also has to clear it. <laughs> has to clear it because they, <laughs> they ask for a explanation of your plate. Oh, okay. And since I did put Murder Pow on it. Did you just say you're Mr. Dr. Powell? I did. I said, okay. I, I said I'm a doctor and I love powder skiing. <laughs> and hopefully they'll give it to me. Hopefully the DMV clears you, dude. Because that's like, yeah. He, Tom, just, should we talk about your car real quick? Sure. I, I, okay. I'm totally good with talking about my midlife crisis car. <laughs> so Tom, you know, last it's one winter, less Sprinter van. <laughs> he got smashed into, his Audi got smashed and thought he was going to be able to just put it back on the road, but then insurance totaled it, so he had to buy a new car. I was good with the salvage title. I want to drive that thing into the ground. I tend to keep on to my cars. Yeah, just keep me too. Them and drive them forever. So what but did you get? So I got a little Crosstrek. I got a Crosstrek. I got a Subi. Nice, dude. It's a it's just a little zip around, get there fast, slay it, come home. And it's all black. It's, it's black on it's black on it's black. Mur it's murdered out. It's murdered out. So murder pow, dude, is like the perfect <laughs> vanity plate. People are going to think, though, it says Mr. Dr. Pow, though. So that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Mr. Dr. Pow. Yeah, well, I, see, I have a backup. I have a backup plate if the state of Nevada won't give it to me. We won't reveal that one. Yeah, yet. That, that's, yeah. Since and, that's uh, already in the system, I figured we can talk about it. But that's the great thing about it. getting a vanity plate in Nevada is that you can get basically whatever you want because there's no one that lives here. <laughs> that's right, yeah. California, exactly. you can't get <laughs> you anything. Yeah, Murder Pal's probably taken. Yeah, probably. <laughs> there's probably a Mr. Dr. Pow out there already. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, what's what's cracking? What's good? Uh, it's 19 episodes in. 19 episodes in. It seems yeah. to be that was the amount of episodes that our little podcast device was good with recording oh, with man it. yeah we, we had, had a case of the full moon fever yeah we so today we had a, a great uh conversation with max jones uh legend 
Um, and it was the one episode so far that I was kind of nervous about because like I know he's the dude. He's the one dude. We're like, hey, let's do a podcast about Mikey mountain biking in Tahoe. We definitely need to talk to Max. Max is like a legend, right? And he was on legend. the Enormo cast with Chris Caloose. And yeah, let's give so, that a shout out. Yeah, people, if you if you're into climbing or not even into climbing, it was a fascinating episode. But Max already recorded an episode with. The Enormo cast, episode 152, with yeah. his climbing partner, because he was a lit, before he became a mountain bike legend, he was a climbing legend in Yosemite. Yeah. So get check that one out. It's a good, that was a good listen. I listened to that this morning in preparation for my, for my, for our jittery show. Oh, dude. And then we just kept our, our little Zoom pod track here, just kept glitching out on us. And, uh, you know, I think it was just because, I don't know, I was deleting files off the thing as we would go, but... I guess it just, it, it, at some point you have to reformat the card because, you know, we got in here to Tom's house after our interview with Max and I reformatted the card. And now the thing Boom, works perfect. We're, good to go. <laughs> we're back. We're but back damn to, it, man. Back to being pros. I wish I would have known that before we sat down with Max and looked like a couple of schmucks. That's all right. You know? <laughs> I think we still got a good story out of it. Yeah. We, it's oh, such yeah. a cool story. So I, it, and it, it sort of lined up too with the 40th anniversary of the Flume Trail, which we got to be a part of last weekend. Yep. And you were still coming back from your little foray out to Nevada, but I joined for the ride. I think about 25 people showed up in support of Tamba and Max and celebrated the 40 years of the Flume Trail and sort of the kickoff of mountain biking in Tahoe in some senses. Yeah, I mean, he's the he's the forefather of mountain biking in Tahoe. Um, he, he predates Tamba. I mean, Tamba was yeah. one of the first trail organizations in the United States founded in like 1988 or 89. And Max predated that by five years. Yeah. So he really was like the first person probably riding mountain bikes and definitely clearing trail um, in Tahoe. So he's a pioneer. And pioneered ecotourism in Tahoe as well, which yeah. we, I think we sort of touched on that on the show, but I think that that was a really big part of what's unique about Max and how he was a first generation ranch family but yep. he was the first generation that broke off of ranching and, and went into recreation. Yes. And we see that now with all the struggling towns that are coming off of a different industry, whether it was timber or ranching or whatever it might be. And then they need to figure out a way to make money and people to live there. And recreation is the answer. Yeah. And he was the first one in his family that broke off and did that. And almost was the first one in that generation in Nevada, in California to figure that out. Yep. And that was pretty neat to, to get to talk to him about that and how the flume trail all went down. Yeah. And he's, I mean, for me, he's an inspiration because, you know, he had ridden the, um, you know, the, the Toyabi Crest Trail project that I've been working on is, is a very similar concept. It's like Max found this old thing that was there that had been languishing and he put, he just decided, I'm going to just start clearing this thing. And he did, and he committed to it. He said, you know, in the interview, he's like, yeah, I got halfway through. I'm like, God, this is a lot of work, but I'm not <laughs> going to give up now. And I, you know, I drew a lot of inspiration, you know, from what Max did with the Flume Trail, with mm. what I did with the Toyabi Crest Trail, and that's getting this thing reopened for people to enjoy. You know, it's, it's this selfish and selfless process of like, I want to ride the trail, but I can also share it with friends yep. and it's a really cool thing to see. Max has built a career and a life around this one trail. He and his wife, like they've, they've, you know, had a bike shop, shuttle service, bike race, this, this, the flume trail revolved around all of these things in his life for the last 40 years. And he's built a career around this trail that he spent the summer of 1983 clearing. And I think that is so neat. It's so unique. It's magical. 
Like we talked yeah. about it on the show <clears throat> that for the people that the listeners out there that have written, written it, they know this, it never gets old. Yeah. And it's just this amazing connection of modern times with history as well. And I think that's one of the unique things about these historic trails is that it really sort of connects you with the past totally. and the pioneers and, and that pioneering spirit. And there's something unique about that. Yeah. And we talk about it in the interview, like the flume trail, the flume before it was the trail, right? It was this like pretty, it was it's the lifeblood for the Comstock load. Yeah. And it's, it's a feat of engineering. It was probably one of the seven wonders of the natural or the man-made world, like transporting water from yeah. Marlette Lake up over the, the top of the mountain and then down across Washoe Valley and then up over into Virginia city. I mean, that's insane. That was in the 1800s. So when, insane. when we were on the ride on Sunday too, uh, he talked about how that was also the first place that telephones were used in yes. the state of Nevada yep. because they had to coordinate the, yep. someone had to turn this valve and someone had to turn that valve and it all had to be very coordinated. And if they didn't, like someone got blown off the side of the mountain totally. by, a, by a gushing stream of water. Yep. So that was a pretty amazing conjunction of technology and manpower and just and that was all happening back in the 1870s. Yeah, I mean, Virginia City was the richest city in the world in its era in the 1870s. It built the silver that came out of Virginia City built all of San Francisco. San Francisco load. was like nothing, and Virginia City was the richest city in the world. So they had money to invest into projects like this public public works project, yeah. like the Flume Trail. Pretty incredible history, and it's cool that Max now, you know, has been able to like make it a part of his life and a part of Tahoe culture. It's yeah. really neat. Yeah. yeah. I, and it's, it's, I moved to the bottom of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's in your backyard. It's my backyard. I ride it all the time. Yeah. I tend to ride it backwards on my way to another trail to go down, but yeah, uh, it's still just such an amazing section of trail. It never gets old. And it was really cool to have him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So before we jump into this interview with Max, is there anything else you want to mention? Yeah, I've, I think we should get into a, just a couple quick things, especially since it's uh, it's windy as all get out out there. Yeah, it is. It looks like the storm's coming in. Yeah, this is. Uh, I think this is the first winter storm on the heels of September first. How is that a winter storm? It's a it's a it's a Pacific low coming in off the Pacific Ocean with a pressure gradient that looks like January. We're gonna oh. get two feet of wind. This weekend. Oh, wow. You two know what, feet of wind? Two What's, feet of wind. How do you measure that? You, you measure it by all the people that are going to come running out of Burning Man. <laughs> yeah, dude. They're going to get like flooded out and winded out. It's going to be Windy Man. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's like winter all over. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's so Tahoe in the summertime. I don't really look at the weather forecast unless there's rain. And then I'm, you know, sort of picking apart the eyeballs of, a, of the Doppler radar and figuring out when I want to ride my bike with good dirt. Yeah. But this week, all of a sudden we've got two low pressure systems off the coast of California and, and the Pacific Northwest. And we're getting a very early season winter event. Awesome. I think there's going to be a dusting. We a should pie. go, we should Dude, go mountain biking. We well, rose to toads is this weekend. They're, they're going to get, they're going to get snow up at the, like real pass. Real pass and, like, we'll get, mon might get snow. Monument. Yeah. Yep. They're going to get snow. Up there. Yeah. They moved. It used to be in late September. 
And then in 2013, the Roasted Toads, I did it the year it snowed and it was crazy. We were like up in Mount Rose Meadows. There was like three inches of snow and it was like 20 degrees on September 23rd. And they're like, Burr. we're going to move it to, Mo- to to Labor Day because it's just late September is too late, right? Thinking that it'll never snow on Labor Day weekend. Well, guess what it's going to do? It's going to dust. Tonga Tonga, it's going to snow. <laughs> I love it. Like it's awesome, is, dude. Yeah. We talked about it with Max bri- briefly after we recorded, and he said that typically when you get these patterns, that it sort of keeps going. Right. That no, was his I, take on it. I think we're diving into an early winter. I mean, I, I'm I'm like with trail projects. We're neck deep in trail projects right now, and ground truthing and being in the field, and and I'm trying to get as much as we can done because I have a feeling we're going to be snowed out of the high country this year by mid October. Get it done. Yeah, yeah. We got six weeks left. And then it's a probably game over for the high country. Yeah. He said something that made sense to me is that when, if we get these early storms that then there's a break, yeah. we get Indian summer again, but yeah. it's like a four to six week cycle. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's back. So if we're getting our first one labor day, yeah, that means we're going to get another one mid October. We could, there could be snow on the ground before Halloween this year. Yeah. And Max knows he Maybe. ran that, he ran that cross country center at Spooner Lake for 27, 27 years. He years. was like a weather nerd because he had to be, cause that was his livelihood. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, you got a Cindy award. You got anybody you want to give a shout out to? You saw anything? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> uh, oh, it's going to be like at the restaurant you order first. Did you, do you, <laughs> Come back to me. Do, well, I've got, do you already have one? I kind of have a heart stringer one for me. Okay. Because today is the 11-year anniversary of my mom passing. Uh-huh. And my mom was rad. Yeah. And she was a big part of me being outdoors and finding the outdoors and finding the love and passion for it. Uh-huh. So I'm going to give my mom, who's up up there looking down on us right now, some love and, and say thank you to her for, for making me who I am and for making me want to get outside and do all the things that I'd love to do and put my mind in the track. And, uh, I, I thought of her today because a couple days ago I went through incline and picked up lunch at incline burger and those guys are taking donations for Maui. Uh-huh. And they said they have a little blurb up that says we need tents, we need sleeping pads, we need camping gear. And I think the owner has a connection that he lived over there for 12 years. So they just kind of had this list up and they're saying, Hey, we're sending these, you know, big totes of stuff to supplies over there to people. And the connection is my mom was a huge supporter of the Sierra club. She was a huge supporter of a ton of different nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And she also, that was a big part of her career was she worked for the YMCA and was a big a- advocate for, for youth and for, for, just she just dedicated her life to other people mm-hmm. and so today i went over there and dropped off some old sleeping i had a couple good sleeping pads and an old north face tent and dropped it off to to get sent over to to, to lahaina right and on. uh thought of my mom so anyway if, if people still want to don't forget about lahaina i guess that's the other yeah. thing i want to say and that's what my mom would say so anyway that's i i'm giving a shout out to her what was love, your not, mom's name my mom's name was joyce joyce love you love you mom right on man that's so, a good one. I yeah. can't top that. So I know, we're just I know you stick can't. So we're going to stick. I know. I, I, sorry to drop that one on you, but I. No, it's great, dude. I, uh, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, just you know, it's good to it's good to open up about these things. And uh, yeah. yeah, she's she's she is with me a lot out there. I'll just say that I see her a lot and feel her spirit. So um, awesome. And I felt her spirit today when I did that good deed. So uh, I had that one to shout out, and 
I don't. You have anything else? No. Okay. I well, think let's... I think we should just segue into our interview with Max and uh, learn a little bit about the history of the Flume and yep. the history of Max Jones, Mountain Bike Hall of Famer, uh, True Cord Lord, True Cord Lord. Like you know, he he was one of the first mountain bike professionals. In the interview, he talks about how I think maybe he, we didn't record that, but he was like, "Set the part that we <laughs> lost." It might have been one of the parts he lost. He's like, if it weren't for a guy named John Tomac or Ned Overend, I would have been a multiple-time national champion. <laughs> so he was up in the mix with those guys back in the day. He it's was the real deal. Um, and it still is the real deal. I mean, he's just, yeah, a badass all the way around. And and I'll say be be patient with our tech, technical difficulties a little bit. I'm going to doctor it up the yeah, best we'll I can. Maybe you might not <laughs> even know. Pow but it up. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mr. Dr. Pow it up. Yeah, it's, it, it was bound to happen. But uh, yeah. I still think we had a great chat with him, and it was great to hear from him and sort of hear the origin story of the Flume Trail. I Absolutely. loved it. Yeah, so without further ado, here's our interview with Max Jones. Enjoy. We're here with Max Jones. We're here at the Tunnel Creek Cafe once again. Yet again. Yet again. Uh, I think, Max, you used to own this cafe, right? Was this something that you and your wife ran also in addition to the bike shop yeah we um my wife ran it and we owned it um we we started it you know back in i think it was 2012 um right when we moved everything down here from spooner um just kind of since we weren't doing the ski area anymore up there we wanted something to do in the winter cool cool and now 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 chad and evan is that right yeah your friends evan roa who we had on the show yep a few episodes ago Yep, so they're running the cafe now? Yeah, yeah, doing an awesome job. I mean, they're taking it places we couldn't, so really psyched that those guys are running it right now. It's really good. And you're probably happy to not be having to run a restaurant anymore? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's definitely freed up a little bit of time. I, I, I feel you there, Max, because yeah. I just sold my restaurant, and it's like, it's like when, you sell a, when, you, when you buy and sell a boat. Yeah. It's, like the, it's, like, it's like the happiest day of your life when you get a boat. And yeah. then again, it's the happiest day of your life when you sell it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you kind of go, wow, it's our, our deal. But I, it's, it, you're right. It's, um, it's nice to not have this on top of the bike shop. It's allowing you to focus on, on the bike world a little bit more. Eh? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, my wife ran the cafe and I was just a fix it man, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. stuff would break and. You know, we used to laugh about it where it's a whole lot warmer in the cafe fixing some plumbing here than it was in the bottom of a snowcat, you know, up at Marlette Lake or something. Yeah. So it was actually quite comfortable, but still, it's nice to have the time. Yeah. Well, we're really excited to have you here um, and get a chance to talk a little bit of history. Um, history on a number of fronts. And, you know, we last weekend, we actually, well, I didn't get to ride because I was, I was running late, but I showed up for the celebration, which is the important part, I think. Um, but we got to ride uh, with you on the Flume Trail, 40th anniversary of the Flume Trail. Um, it was super cool to have that invite and that opportunity to celebrate a little. Um, for sure. And, yeah, and Tom, you got you got some footage from the ride, right? Yeah, I was running ahead and, and took some took some bunch of pictures and got some footy with the drone. Nice. And uh, did a little documentation of the day. I mean, that was a historical day. Forty years of Flume Trail is is a big bookmark. Yeah. For for that trail and for a lot of people in Tahoe. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been riding the trails as long as Max, but I, I think my first flume ride was in high school up here in 1991. Oh, wow. All right. And uh, I think it's 32 years for me. And that, that trail has just impacted so many people's lives. So yeah. it was really cool to be a part of that celebration and, and, and get to ride along with Max and sort of have him point out, you know, all the unique things about that trail and also the unique things that are getting done and, and that's going to happen in the future with it. Because there's some yeah. new sections of trail that are going to be unveiled at some point soon, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's which exciting. Is, which is exciting. Yeah. We'll get into that, but let's get back to the, some of the historical stuff. Yeah, I think before we talk about the flume, what I'd really like to dive into with you, Max, is just your history. You're kind of a fifth fifth generation Nevadan, is that right? Um, fourth. Fourth generation Nevadan. Yep. So you come from a, a pretty long lineage of uh, your family, it sounds like, kind of were some of the first pioneers in the state in the 1800s. Yeah, my mom's side of the family, um, they're ranchers, and they, uh, I think it was my grandfather's grandfather that came over from Germany, actually from Minden, Germany, and he was part of the founding crew, I guess, of Minden, Nevada. Um, uh -huh. So my mom grew up on a ranch out in Carden, um, Carson Valley, and I was uh, born and raised in Reno. And at the time, I, when my parents were going to school at UNR, um, was, I think they were just finishing up there when I was born and then uh, stayed in Reno and grew up there. So kind of the first generation out of ranching, even though I don't know that it was ever in the cards, just um, kind of being the son of a daughter in a German ranching family. Um, I guess I could have been a hired hand, but <laughs> not, not so running you have to be this Do you have to be the son of the father to be like kind of in the inner circle of the ranching family? Or Well, the, the, yeah, the son of the... Of the um, I guess the son of the son, you know, to, to be oh, like... Oh, right. Yeah, the son of the son. Yeah. The son of the father. It's the same, <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. it's the same thing. Kurt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I'm bad with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't... Like I don't, cousins, <laughs> brothers, uncle. When, when people say your, your mother's brother's cousin's uncle's nephew, I'm just like, I don't... I, I, what are you? I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, that, is that kind of why then, Max, that you didn't take, go down the road of, of ranching and embracing that family, the family business? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there would have been maybe a possibility if we lived in Carson Valley mm -hmm. um, and then been kind of part of it. We'd go out there every year and help them round up cows and do the branding and everything. As a kid, I remember doing that. Um, but just kind of never part of the whole, of the, like the ranching culture. You know, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't feel like I stepped, was in it at one time and stepped out. I felt okay. I never was in it. You, you discovered rock climbing at a young age, too, I think. I did, yeah. So that probably, that, <laughs> yeah, that that, probably took over. That may have taken over a little bit right there. As I started climbing when I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old. Okay. So you're living in Reno, and you started climbing up on Donner Summit? Is that right? That was, um, yeah, the first. It was uh, with the scout troop that like had a random person that kind of did some climbing, and we did some top roping and thought this was kind of cool, and then went on a scouting trip in New Mexico. And they had a bit of a climbing thing with it. And so I thought I just something I really liked about it. And then coming back, I was still a kid. So I had to find people to climb with, you know, that could drive. Yeah. Um, and one of the local shops in uh, like a sporting goods shop in Reno had a um, they had a climbing club. So I kind of got hooked in with those guys and, you know, kind of a lot of older climbers, you know, mentors, I guess you'd say. And we'd go somewhere every week to go climb a lot of times to mm -hmm. Lover's Leap over on Highway 50 or Sugarloaf or Donner. Yep. 
Yeah. And, you know, then from, you know, I was getting an interest. Um, it was, you know, kind of had a couple of the coolest birthday presents ever from my parents. It was One was a week of climbing at the school in Yosemite up in Tuolumne Meadows. And then uh, the other was uh, they they got me a week of uh, a mountaineering school at Mount Rainier. And oh, so, wow. And so we did a, um, so that was kind of cool. We'd, you do all the stuff and, and we did a tour around Mount Rainier at about like between the eight and 11,000 foot elevation. So we did a traverse all the way around the mountain, never climbed it. We crossed every glacier on the mountain. Cool. Now, do you, do you have any brothers or sisters? A sister. And is she younger? Or she's older? four years younger um, and she's in Reno. And did she, was she ever into like outdoor things or recreation or being an athlete or anything like that? Um, always into outdoor stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, where I did a lot of like the, the scout troop I was part of, we'd go camping every month, winter, summer. And unfortunately, um, she didn't get to be like part of that, but we would go on family outings and stuff. And she was always active, skied, backpacked, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, never took to it like say being like an outdoor athlete you know whatever that is right um right but still you know how you can't really grow up in this area and like be blind to what's right here at your doorstep your door. to do stuff you would hope so there's it, still some people in reno that i don't know they just never been to lake tahoe it's, yeah it's crazy yeah yeah did you grow up skiing then too and uh -huh. were you a ski racer or, yeah. or in, in was Nordic or were you skiing downhill, no, downhill. Stuff, downhill? Yeah, so started about the same time, um, 12 or 13. So okay. kind of the, the climbing and the skiing was the same. And it was a little junior racer up at Slide and Mount Rose. And were, then, were you part of Slide, uh, uh, Sky Tavern? Is that where I, you started? I started at Sky Tavern, yeah. yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so started there for a few years, then went over, you know, heard about this racing stuff. So, and they did a little bit of that at Sky Tavern. So, yep. and then the, the big mountain, you know, Slide Mount Rose. Um, yeah. Got to join the ski teams there. And actually, that's where I met Patty, my wife. You oh. know, was, we were little ski racers together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, when, at what age did you two meet? Oh, uh, like 14. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, something like that. Wow. Awesome. And you got married young then, huh? Um, I think I was 24, something okay. like that. We didn't date till went to college. Oh, okay. You know, so she went to separate high school, and mm -hmm. you know we'd see each other all all winter, and then wouldn't all summer. You, you guys know? went to UNR or where did you yeah. go to school? UNR. Yeah. Uh huh. Nice. Yeah, she went to Worcester. I went to Reno High. Okay. You know, for high school. Cool. So you're kind of you're you're kind of the what I think is interesting in this is that your family background is ranching, and you your your family you know you had mentioned that um, the Mormons had originally come to Carson Valley. And they settled, and then they decided to leave. And when they left, the Germans came in and took yeah. over their land. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's kind of I guess the short story is is <laughs> the the which is the other half of my family are Mormon. Uh -huh. um, so they they were like called back to Utah. Yep. And right about that same time, and and this is the story I've always been told. So whether it like is for real, you know, when you look at all the history of it, but. The, the Germans came in, found this nice valley that was kind of unoccupied. Yeah. Um, and that's about when the mining and everything was starting to go up in Virginia City. And they weren't miners, and they knew that was kind of hit and miss. So they figured, well, all those miners need to eat. So we're going to grow cows yeah. you know, and feed them. Yep. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of the, the break in the, the lineage of ranching, sort of, it seems. Like you, you guys you and your sister especially you kind of the the first wave of like a 
recreation or like outdoor like because were any of your other like cousins or anyone else doing what you were doing or were they just pretty much into the ranching lifestyle um on my mom's side of the family um she had an older sister and my cousins from they were they moved kind of out of the area and weren't involved uh-huh. my cousins that are um from my uncle uh-huh. my mom's brother um yeah, they're still involved. You know, um, James still runs the ranch, and I think Anna Lynn um, is my other cousin is heavily involved with it. So, yep. yeah, they're still there. And then, and I guess the original family ranch back in Minden, Germany, has been operating since like the 16 or 1700s, oh, wow. and is oh, still wow. operating. Wow. So, yeah. what's that family? What's the family name? Settlemeyer. Settlemeyer. Wow. wow, that's cool. So you got some roots in Nevada. Yeah, which a little is bit. Neat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you were into, you got into rock climbing, you, you kind of, I mean, I, I, I'm not much of a rock climber, but like everyone talks about how you pioneered a lot of things in rock climbing, kind of equivalent to what you were doing in mountain biking. Um, I, I listened to the Enormocast interview that you did a few years ago with Chris Caloose, and that was really interesting. I, half the terms, I have no idea what you're even <laughs> <Right>. talking about, <laughs> yeah. but I just, to me, there's like this. I'll just um, say, Kurt, I, I listened to it. Yeah. It was my, a little bit of climbing that I did in my 20s. Yeah. This dude's a core lord. Yeah. <laughs> it seems yeah. like it. Like yeah. they were wearing painter's pants and sneakers and yeah, like I, <laughs> making their own. You and your mom made your own pioneers. Gear, gear bags? Yeah. We, um, you like stitched well, there your own there haul bags? Any, yeah, for haul bags. Yeah. Um, and then we, um, yeah, then our own hammocks to sleep in. You know, oh, so. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And you're always tied in, you know. People say, oh, my God, how could you trust that? And it's like, you got a rope. You're, you know, it all blows apart. You know, you'll build a better one next time. Yeah. So you tell us about the transition from rock climbing to mountain biking, because to me, that's really interesting. Like you were hardcore into climbing. At what point did you decide, yeah, I'm kind of over it? Or or maybe maybe it wasn't that. Maybe you just yeah, found what, mountain biking and were like, I kind of really like this more. Or like, was that, tell was, us. Was it a conscious decision? Or yeah. Did it just sort of happen organically. Is it sort of happened organically for me when I sort of got yeah. out of climbing and got into other sports? I think kind of one thing replaced the other, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the drive. And and I, I remember having the feeling of climbing where it's like, God, I've kind of done a lot, a lot of what I wanted to do. And yeah. uh, we tried to free, you know, free LCAP and we kind of felt back in the day it wasn't okay to like hang on the side of a cliff and try and try and try and try and try it was like Like you should you should get better for a year and then come back and give it a go yeah and i kind of remember having the feeling like i don't have that year that mentally that i can put in it again yeah um and and my climate partner from then mark um he and i i like to this day uh we've like why didn't we go back I mean, we could have really, we probably could have done something or done, you know, there's a lot of things we probably should could have made it more of a name for yourself. Yeah. In, yeah. And we did. And, and at that time in the career, a lot of climbers start going like abroad, you know, to the Alps, to the big mountains and, and to Patagonia and Yosemite is like the testing ground, you know, or to Patagonia. And I didn't really care. I think it might have come from that earlier trip around Mount Rainier that like, I didn't really like the mountaineering stuff like too many big things can fall on you mm-hmm. and uh 
so it kind of wasn't an option. And then right at that time, um, I was actually kind of had transitioned from downhill skiing to cross country skiing, um, was getting into biathlon and, um, went, I got to the, go to the Olympic trials for the Sarajevo games oh. and didn't, wow. didn't make it, but for, for, for cross country for, for skiing, Nordic? for biathlon, for Nordic. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and at that time, the first mountain bike came on the scene. And that, I had no idea what they were. I went into a little shop um, that's no longer in Reno called Stuart Hunt. And one of the owners there, um, I saw this mountain bike and said, wow, this is kind of, that's cool. And I had been road racing at the time too, kind of regionally in Northern California. And he said, well, take it. And I said, well, I can't afford it. And he goes, oh, pay me when you can. Um, so I did and went out, found a, there, there was a local race and these guys were in it that had just raced the first national Norba championship. And these guys were like in the places, you know, second, third place. And I could hang with them. And it was like, wow, this sport's kind of cool. So started doing more riding and it just kind of mm. took my interest. And then as little sponsorship as was in it at that time, it was like, you mean somebody might pay me to do this? Um, what kind of bike was that bike that you got? Um, it was a Trek, actually. Okay. Um, and then had, I think I bought a Cannondale somewhere in there that was lighter aluminum. What year was this? 80, I think the first Nationals were 83, so it was probably the fall of 83. Okay. And then the next, yeah, fall of 83, because 84 were the Sarajevo games, and I remember taking that bike to West Yellowstone. Okay. You know, to ride on like the pack snow or do something because I just liked having the bike. Yeah. Um, Original fat bike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with <laughs> I think 2.1 tires. Yeah. <laughs> Fatter than a road bike. Um, you know, so it, like things were changing in there and then kind of was getting pretty fit. I was actually aerobically pretty fit from cross country skiing. Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, the next summer did okay a lot of the local races went to crested butte um did really well on a stage race there um with like some you know good road national team kind of guys or andy hampson was there and rode well and then uh, uh richie asked me to be on his team you know so it was mm -hmm. like kind of out of the blue and i didn't realize at the time but i would ride with these two guys these norcal riders and uh they were i didn't realize really how good in the norcal scene was but it was you know me little mountain biker i could i could hang with them on the climbs mm -hmm. you know so it was so then i guess and one of them was the team manager um dave mclaughlin from uh who um introduced me to richie and then all of a sudden i had a richie bike and richie was your first sponsor then yeah yeah interesting cool wow and what was the first norba national or the first national was that out at like whiskey town like out by Reading? No, it was in santa barbara oh in santa barbara yeah okay. and it was like some big epic race and they like I didn't do that one and it, it rained and it was just like this horrendous carry your bike through the mud forever kind of thing and <laughs> and uh, steve tilford won it actually oh yeah and then uh i did the next one which was in colorado at uh, lake eldora okay and okay. It, i remember that one was in like you know half a foot of snow it okay. snowed like the night before <laughs> so you're you're living at this time you're living in carson in reno you're living in reno and you're racing or, well wait a minute 82 83 we got married in 82 so i was living here in incline oh you're in incline yeah, okay yeah. 
and you were getting into mountain bike racing. At what point did you come across the Flume Trail? Like, how did you like stumble what, on this what, thing? What you, map was it that you found? Yeah. So it was right then, you know, with these bikes, the new bikes, and going exploring. And I was training by going up Tunnel Creek, and it was just up and back. And it's like there's got to be something different. Yeah. And on uh, USGS maps, and if you like the the old style that you know you. You'd buy yeah, the you'd, real map. and buy like, the quadrant. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Well, it was on that map where it was marked. There was a thin blue line that said flume. And it was like, man, I, I don't know what that is, but flumes are flat and they carry water. So if there was any kind of like roadbed with it, mm-hmm. this on a map would be like a really awesome loop to ride. Yeah. You know, I could, you know, instead of up and back, I could do something. Yeah. So that's when I started looking for it. You know, it was, it was right then. And then, uh, like we uh, the other day, just pointing out, like, at the start of both sides of the trail were really thick in bushes. It had and it, grown over. Yeah, and it was really hard to kind of find where it started. Um, so once I did that and got to carry the bike across it, because it was all, you know, I don't know, 70, 100 trees or something were across it. And then the landslide areas were all landslide areas. Um, and then there was a metal pipe across it. So the first day hiking across it was, was <laughs> anything it was but a mountain bike trip. I, I read somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I read somewhere that it wow. took you five hours Something like to that. do yeah. the first traverse of it, and the, and that section is only you know it's four, four miles it's four, long, four and a half miles. Yeah, it was a slog, but it was you know it's exploring. You're, you you know, had your brand new Richie. Yeah, the, and it, did you do it solo that first time? Uh huh. Yeah, that's so cool. with Trash and Treasure on WMTT Hot Country 103. Give us a call. Tell us what you got for sale today. Hey, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing? This is uh, Tony Turbo down there in East Sandwich. Hey, I got this uh, big ag knees three-person tent here. Uh, definitely doesn't fit three people. Went camping with the wife. What can I say? She hates camping, so it's for sales, okay? Used only once because I'm a good fella, be honest. It's got a wee-wee stain in it from my old dog, Rocky, okay? 200 bones, it's yours. We'll trade for a decent lawnmower. Call me at one 2 3 4 5 6 7 All right, Tony Turbo and East Sandwich has a not-a-three-person tent with a wee-wee stain for sale. $200 or trade for a lawnmower. Ring them up at one 2 3 4 5 6 There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zink and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters and seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. It took a few tries, um, mainly because I was kind of in the middle of a ride, and it was really bushy, and I was coming up from the Tunnel Creek side. You know, so there were a lot of willows and stuff in the way, so it was kind of a vague, you know, kind of wet area. Yeah. And, you know, finally kind of said, I'm just going to, like, 
you know, go up over the top of these willows and look at it. And then looking down, it was like, ah, there it is. Yeah. And you could see the, the roadbed. And I had done a little looking for it at, um, in the library at UNR, actually, to get some information and saw some pictures of it. So I realized it was like a, a graded flume and it wasn't like a and like above grade flume that would be like perched on a hillside. Right. So I knew that there was potential. And anyway, started across it and it took like five hours, you know, something like that. Wow. It was kind of an epic slog across the thing. The main difficulty was the aluminum pipe that went back and forth across it. Mm -hmm. And wasn't quite sure what that was for because I figured in the Comstock days that like that, they didn't have aluminum pipe to put across something like this. Um, and it was, you know, over logs, I would say, I don't know, 70 to 100 logs, you know, various sizes across it. The landslides were like no trail there because they had been sliding. You couldn't ride much more than like 20 feet at a time because that pipe went back and forth and it was so slippery you couldn't get across it. So it, there were really no remnants of the old wood box flume. It, and as, all the wood stuff was gone. Yeah, and as I came to find out, like later, there was a crew, the pipe came from a, a crew in 63, uh, a business that wanted to revive the water going across it because it had been out of service, I think, since the 20s. And they wanted, um, they were trying to get water for, they were building a rocket fuel plant or something in Dayton. And they needed the water and like the city wasn't going to give them any water. Yeah, just kind of this bizarre they thing. They were going to move the water over the mountain from yeah. the Tahoe side out to Dayton. Kind of like they yeah, did during just, the Virginia yeah, City days. Exactly. And, wow. And so what that company had done, which is kind of why we get to ride the flume these days, is they essentially bulldozed off everything that could have been considered an artifact like off the edge huh. and you look down the hill a ways and you do see tons of wood um huh. and it's gone and i i met a guy that took our shuttle once and his dad was on he says oh yeah my dad was on the crew of 63 that put in that pipe oh wow you know so it's like oh wow so talk to him for a little bit to you know see what he remembered from stories um and so like getting across it it was like it was so it's such a cool place you know, in the middle of the trail looking out at Tahoe, it's like, I think, you know, still like the best view of Tahoe that there is here. Oh yeah, down. for sure. And cause you're not in the question. middle of the lake and you're so close. Yeah. Um, it's not like a distant lake. It's like, you, you know, feel like you could, you know, maybe throw a rock into it and hit it. Yeah. Um, not quite. <laughs> I'd been in the wrong sport if I could do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, so then started picking away at it, you know, first was like, you know, cutting some brush out of the way on the one side. And then getting to the pipe, and I was um, I had to chop the pipe out. It took a few tries to figure out how to do it because it was all, it, they were, I don't know, 20-foot sections maybe, and they were all fitted together, you know, and there were, you know, fittings that joined the ends. And to try to pry them out was really tough. So I, I kind of finally figured out a way I had a splitting maul, and I would chop it, like, in half. And then you could work one end loose and then pull a section loose. And I was thinking, well, if somebody can haul these out someday, I'm not going to pitch them, and I certainly don't want to carry them anywhere. So I'm just going to set them off to the edge of the trail. And there's a fair bit of pipe up there um, right now. Yeah, that there's it, still a little bit up there. That we left in place because I thought it was holding the trail together. Like it was kind of that outer edge of the outer trail. Outer edge, yeah. And was this aluminum pipe or aluminum. steel? Aluminum. aluminum, yeah. And so we left it all there, and then years later, actually, the ranger got a group together um, they're a local high school that's, um, oh, it's a uh, rite of passage. And it's um, 
kids that are kind of like sentenced to this high school and generally they're like high energy kids that got put in a bad circumstance and they're all like really good athletes typically and so anyway this high school group up there would uh, they got them to bring all the pipe and carry it into piles and they slung it together and then the ranger um at the time um got uh like a the I think it was the somebody out from Fallon, you know, to bring a helicopter in as a like a training exercise for the military, and they carried all the pipe out of there. Oh, um, wow! And they flew it out. Years later, we were looking for a ski trail way back in the middle of nowhere, and there's this random piece of pipe in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> they dropped. And, yeah, they dropped. <laughs> My wife was going, "Well, how did this get here? There wasn't a flume here." I go, "No, they dropped it." <laughs> you know, well, that's like, what you get when you have high school kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, putting tying, it together. Yeah, knots around. Yeah, it's all good, man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that so uh, it's because of that, then you really didn't find too many artifacts then along that section of trail bec- no. because they had pushed all they they. And, and then, like you said, that's why the state park gave you yeah. permission to then go ahead and do what right. the work that you did. Then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because at first they were, um, you know, the ranger really kind of didn't want to know what I was doing up there. But yeah. come to find out later, he was checking and he wouldn't have let me, like, destroy, you know, like perfect sections of flume mm-hmm. right. you know, or anything. Right. You know, um, so... And and he was at the event the other day too, Mark. Who yeah, so I that introduced. was yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was the guy, and then at the end he kind of got a little more involved with it, you know, and just to kind of shepherd the thing through. And I, it was kind of you know back long enough that you know like TRPA wasn't involved, and you know building trails was like you know build them, and all the permits and permission and everything kind of weren't yeah. there. And uh, <laughs> we got a lot of beeping going. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's somebody good. tell them that the, the place is closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are we are recording in a yeah. cafe. Yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and so it, and he kind of realized that it was maybe one of those things at the time that it was a little vague of you know resurrecting things like that because the trail was there. I mean, I didn't yeah. build the trail; I just no. resurrected it and made it, it a historical route. Yeah, and uh, that sometimes historical routes, like the default at the time, was oh no, you can't touch it. Right. But he kind of realized from being up there that this is like kind of a significant deal. That you know I've got energy. Some you know some kid here's got some energy. Let's let him see what he does. And I mean, part of that whole process that year was like halfway through going, oh, my God, this is like this is more work than I'd like 10 times more than I thought it would be. <laughs> and but I was like halfway done and I, I couldn't quit because then you admit you kind of wasted your time. But I had too yeah. much time invested in right. it to like I got to finish this thing. If you swim was, halfway across the ocean, you don't yeah, turn around. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you got it done in, in a summer. Mm-hmm. That summer yeah. of 83, yeah. can end to end, and then you just started riding it. Yeah, yeah, and thought, oh, this would be, I was racing, I was like, oh, this would be a cool race. And yeah. how long did you ride it for by yourself until you finally, like, took someone up there? It's like a Jeff Clark moment where yeah. you, where you <laughs> yeah. like, surfed Mavericks yeah. by himself right. forever. And yeah, like, yeah. Like, did you like, keep I, it? I should you, let somebody know. <laughs> did you keep it to yourself for a while? Um, not, not intentionally, but there weren't really any mountain bikers yeah. around, okay. you know, because it was... It was so new, yeah. and I would typically ride it a few times, you know, a week, and I I would see my tracks from the last ride, <laughs> so cool. you know, and that was it. And parts of it were really sandy, and I'd go up, you know, in subsequent years and like rake the sand off, 
And then so I'd know that those were my tracks because, you know, I just raked the thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then we started doing some races on it. And then the magazine showed up to take some pictures sure. of it. And, and then boom. Yeah. You know, w you know way before Same any thing, social just media. Just like Mavericks. They took a yeah. photo of it and now everybody knew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what well, kind of put it on the map? Was yeah. it? What? Probably the races is the what. I mean, it would have eventually done what it did, but, you know, racing and any kind of media like that accelerates it. Yeah. So the Great Flume race you had promoted for 12, 12 years? Yeah, something like that. 12 years. And that's really... And, and then the first couple summers of that trail, you were bringing your friends on it. Did 84, did you have a race in 84 or did you... No, I think it was 85 85? or 6. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. I, I think I remember doing it in 86, and it was like a rainy day. I know Tom Ritchie came up to do it. Mm -hmm. I've got some good, like, kind of cool old photographs of, you know, that race. And it rained the whole time. And that was the first time where, like, wow, rain and a lot of bike traffic made a better trail. Made it, it right. it down. Yeah. You know, it made it, like, it made it tight for the longest it it was and, and were the all the racers minds all the pros that came were they, were they just blown away by yeah the, they were by that section of trail yeah yeah they they wanted to go ride it again so they could actually look at the scenery yeah. you know and, and instead of racing it and like kind of catching a glimpse of tahoe off to the left going this is pretty amazing I mean, it has to be one of the most scenic trails in the world right i would yeah. yeah i mean of all the places i you know got to go when i was racing in europe and everything and there was i haven't come across anything that compares you know yeah. that across you know with clear blue skies we get here you get you get to ride above some of the big lakes in europe but you've got the humidity haze all the time yeah you know and this is it it's so cool yeah I, I'd, I'd say it's got to be one of the best you know if you like lakes and steep hillsides there's it's got it all well looking down at sand harbor it's like looking at the caribbean i mean it's unbelievable yeah it's the just water incredible. colors there are really neat. it's unreal white yeah. sand beach and like this emerald blue green clear it I, it never gets old. It, yeah. yeah, it never gets old. Looking at that view, I'll, so I'll, I'll say that Herland Peak is just special. It's neat. There's something about that zone. Yeah, that really is powerful. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't want to go too far into like a, 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 a mystical tangent, but you know, there is a, a a ley line that runs through Tahoe. Yeah, out to Pyramid Lake, if you believe in that stuff. Yeah, and I think that it runs right through Herland Peak. Because there's something powerful about that zone up there. Whether it is. You're, whether you're up there in the summer on a bike or I ski it a lot. Yeah. And I've just had some of the most amazing moments up on that mountain. I've been up a few times in the winter. Um, we used to give a photographer a ride up there, a guy named Larry Prosser. Yeah, Larry, I know years Larry. Ago. Yeah. And we had access to the backcountry with um, groomed trails that were pretty close. We went to like the Laxalt Junction. And then you would tour, tour and we'd over. Tour over, yeah, yeah, and you know he, you know all the the photos he the the you know non-disclosed location photos on the east shore were generally up there. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know we're so with that said, like, what's the most spiritual moment that you've ever had up there on that in that zone? I mean, you you worked skiing up there for years when you ran the ski resort. You've been biking there forever. Like, like, is there any moments that just really have sat with you or? I don't know. I mean, I've done it so many times, but I guess kind of the, I don't know, the noteworthy thing is every time it's cool. Yeah, that's it. You know, so there's, yeah. it's almost like not one thing stands out, but every time it's like, whoa. And I, I've shown a lot of people their first view of Tahoe, like that would visit, you know, ski, you know, bike racers and stuff that from that trail. 
Like we would say, hey, have you ever seen Tahoe? No. Okay. Let's go right. We're going over Spooner. We're going to Spooner Lake. We're getting on our bikes. We're going up, and you see Tahoe for the first time from that first corner of the flume. Yeah, that's a good first view. Pretty cool. So I'm not sure if it was before or after our glitch, but, you know, I had mentioned that my first time on the flume was in high school in, in 91, and I really didn't get into mountain biking for a while after that. But every time I came back to Tahoe, I would rent a bike and I would go do the flume trail Mm -hmm. because it was just something that was so neat and powerful. And just, it was that thing that I had to do every time I came back here and visited family. And then now that I moved back here, it's just in my repertoire of riding on a regular basis. It's your backyard. It's my backyard now. (laughs) But, you know, I'll I'll say that that was, it was the, I I love to share it too with people. Like if I ever had the, the first five years when I was living in Truckee or so, like if I had someone visit from out of town, that was um that was the bucket list. I'd be I'd show them Tahoe by the Flume Trail. Yeah, that was how I oh, would neat. expose them to it for sure. Be like, oh, let's go ride the Flume. Did you have a um, a friendship or or a, a kind of an understanding with the state park ranger when you were clearing this trail? Because it wasn't like exactly legal what you were doing, right? Or was it? Or was it legal? Or how was the green light? Well, how I was would the say <laughs> I, I would say it was not illegal yeah um and like i said the the to build things like that it was kind of changing at the time Mm -hmm. where it was just like well these trails have always been here and and the um the rim trail hadn't started yet yeah you know to get like kind of i like the forest service reaction to that here was well these people want to dig on federal land we got to have some kind of process for that to make sure it's okay. And yeah. then little things get put in place. State park, you get to sidestep a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and like I say, it at first I was like, oh, wow, the ranger's just like not paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believed at the time. But he knew because I, I had talked to him and worked with him a little bit from the cross-country ski area because he was the guy that we permitted the cross-country ski area through. Mm-hmm. And we started that up there and... Um, well, that was a couple years later, um, in 86, but I had run a cross country ski area here in town on one of the golf courses and that's where I met him. And he came over and wanted advice up at Spooner of where to put some ski trails. Um, and so that's when I got, kind of got to know him. And then before we moved up there in 86 to do the ski area. And so I think at first I just started doing it and then he kind of asked what I was doing and, and we were talking and I, like I say, years later, he was fully up there, you know, because he knew all the archaeology stuff and wanted to make sure that, you know, it was his park that he was in charge of and he didn't want to get, you know, in trouble for anything. And like I say, that crew in 63 that bulldozed the, all the artifacts off um, kind of had them to thank for being able to clear it for bikes. Because you wouldn't have been able to... No, he would, he would have stopped me for sure. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't going to let me... Like, you oh, because there were still like wooden structures on the trail bed, not before they bulldozed it. Yeah, before they, oh, yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, like they you know quit running water down it and walked away. They didn't pull anything off, you know, from the Comstock days, so yeah. everything was still there. And there's still some planks of wood, you know, on the side of it or just off the edge that are like you don't see that kind of stuff in a lumber mill anymore, like real two inches right. and you know, yeah, like two feet True wide. dimensional, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Don't, you don't see wood like that anymore. And all of the flume trails on State Park. One tiny section traverses, it's like, I don't know, 
eighth of a mile or something that's on forest service there's like a little chunk okay. of land and from what i've heard recently actually at the at the get together the other day was that that's about ready to change where those kind of weird boundaries you know and all the squares and everything they're kind of consolidating a lot of this here so there will be like some kind of trade for you know to forest service so it's then it'll all be state park land they're going to give it yeah. to the state cool and i think everything i he said also over snow valley peak was going to be all state land so that might be part of the process that's going to help open that trail to bikes you know over snow valley yeah, peak yeah. yeah that'll be good now the the trail tell us the original purpose of the flume the flume not before it was a trail for people who don't who don't know like why was the flume created and what did it do before it was kind of forgotten about for so long before you opened it as a trail so the the flume i mean carries water yeah so in the comstock mining days they needed water in virginia city they were out of water the wells were running dry um, as they dug mines deeper um, they actually had like a hot water problem there um, from way down, but drinkable water they didn't have. Did they foul their water some maybe there um, from the mining? But they, they needed potable maybe, water. Maybe, yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of that, but possibly. But they needed potable yeah, water. they needed potable water. Okay. So it still amazes me to this day when you kind of know the topography of the area. They yeah. took, the, the short story is they took water out of Marlette Lake, got it to Virginia City. It's about, I don't know, it's got to be 50 miles of flume line, and there's a valley that's down at 5,000 feet in between the two, and yeah. Virginia City's up at like almost 7,000 feet. Right. So they had to get the water through a valley, through a, and they built a giant inverted siphon to do it. So what they did is they dammed up Marlette just a little bit um, to raise the water level, to, and then they built a flume, the flume line across the face of a, a very you know, cliffy hillside, yeah. like you would never, ever get permission these days to build a trail mm -hmm. across a hillside like that, nor would you want to because it wouldn't stay in place. And this was such a wide trail, it was like mostly six to eight feet wide across when they put the flume because they had to service it and not walk on the flume while they were doing and it. And this was 1870s? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And uh, we used to have a t-shirt that had the date on it, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> like we said, Flume Trail established in you know, 1879 or something. Um, and so there's four and a half miles of flume across the hillside. Then they built a tunnel through the mountain because um, they were still below that pass and like an 1100 foot tunnel. And then flumes on the other side, um, probably longer flumes. There's probably, there's gotta be at least 10 or 12 miles of flume on the other side to the water tanks that are still there. The old, I think the old remnants are still there, but there's new water tanks there. And then there was an inverted siphon that went down into the south side of Washoe Valley and then went up the other side. And I guess, it, what's an inverted siphon? Well, so like a, is it just a regular gravity? siphon is taken, you know, like the water travels up and over and down, like you'd suck it out of a gas tank or something. Well, this, like, the water went down and then back up and the down other side. And then back up. So it built head wow. pressure so it could push itself yeah. up over a mountain. Exactly. That's insane. And so it was the most water pressure that humans had ever dealt with. I bet. Um, and I guess they had some spectacular blowouts. And I, I think the, <laughs> the, um, the whole thing got assembled in a year, from what I hear. Like, they God. had enough laborers that came up um, from Virginia City to build the flume across, dig the tunnel. They were experts at digging tunnels right. from Virginia City. Right. Um, wow. Building the flume on the other side. And then it was like a German engineering company that built the flume. I've seen diagrams of it and how thick the pipe had to be and all the calculations and everything. And then up the other side, there was a flume line that went then into Virginia City into a holding pond that's still there today. Um, 
and water still goes to Virginia City. I was going to say, isn't there still water coming from the Tahoe side yeah. across Washoe Valley? Is that from Red House, like all the water on the east side of the range? Um, it come, they pump it directly out of Marlette Lake still. Like there's a there's a pump really? down there now that so pumps there, it up and over, and there's a pump house on. There's the, a pump house on Red House, yes. right where the where yeah. the Aspen stand is with yeah. all of the uh, bass carvings. Yeah, that that pump house is put sending. No, the the pump house for Marlette is um, up on uh, closer to the Marlette Junction over the top. Like over the you, top. If, of if you come Peak. down the Hobart Road, okay, um, it's just a little ways past the top as you just start descending into the trees. It's off to the right. So they're not running the water across the flume, obviously, no, anymore. No. They're pumping no. it up the hill out of the right. lake. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and is so the tunnel still there? Yeah. It's not. It's collapsed. But the, the last time I was there, the portal on the eastern side is like the classic. It's there. They put it behind a chain link fence so people don't wander into it. But, yeah, it's kind of a classic tunnel. And on the other side, it's uh, where that steep little pitch is on the downhill on Tunnel Creek. It's that's that wraps around where the tunnel is. It's where right, the tunnel right used underneath to be. there. Yeah. Wow. There's a pipe that comes out of the ground that has the illusion that water runs uphill, you know, but the water pressure fills the pipe, and then it's about four or five feet off the ground, and it spills out of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's talk because I don't think we uh, captured your uh, your first summer uh, appropriately working on the trail. You you had mentioned that. You're a harrowing incident of a chainsaw in your back po- your backpack while you were riding your mountain bike. Let's talk about that one again. Yeah, the um, the when we first started working on it, the ranger wouldn't let us take tools. Cha- well, chainsaws. We took tools up there and had them stashed all over the place, um, mainly for digging out the landslides and chopping out the pipe. And then finally, he let us take a chainsaw because I was chopping the trees out with like a handsaw and then an axe. Um, but the big ones, it just wasn't going to spend that much time on it um and i figured we'd get a chainsaw there eventually and so we carried it on our backs from the marlette side across and i had a buddy helping me with that and uh yeah one of the one of the overhanging sections just riding along not even thinking about this chainsaw bar a couple feet over my head you know in a backpack and it caught it hooked on the cliff above and like sent me into a wheelie and then i just remember like looking at sand harbor and going here i come and uh drop it in yeah bailed out you know got off, got away from the bike and managed to stop myself you know not too far down but it was on you know it's all steep hillside so it was a little exciting and then in the in the process the gas can was sitting on the dogs of the chainsaw and punctured it you know just like an old style can opener and you know then i had just gas all over my back and the uh in the backpack for the rest of the day but as I remember right, we were heading out at that time, so we'd kind of finished working for the day. But yeah, it was, and it, the, the other thing that really sticks in my mind of working on the flume was just working on the, uh, the landslides and mm-hmm. with a shovel. And I had like a BLM firefighting shuttle, one of the little pointy ones. And it was like, yeah, I don't know if you had to shovel, you know, like 200 times to actually see where you shoveled because it would just keep, keep filling, filling up. In. Yeah, that like DG over just keeps over filling Over and in. over and over. And just, you know, and then the whole time, I just remember, you're looking at Tahoe. And so pretty much every time I finished was right down to the bottom to Hidden Beach, go over to the beach, jump in the lake. You know, it was the end of every workday. That's, that's a good way to end the yeah. workday. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever have uh, a situation where like a, a rock came loose and started falling down the mountain and you had to worry that like it might hit Highway 28? I mean, is it that steep and that abrupt that it could potentially go all the way to the highway? We always thought that it, the right rock could, yeah. or the joke was it would go right through the ranger's house down there. <laughs> yeah, he's right <laughs> so at the bottom. He's right at the bottom. <laughs> and you know, like the bowling alley when, uh, 
the lands the main landslide used to be rideable and in 86 we had a february storm a really big storm here that like up high snowed you know 30 or 40 feet in like 10 days and um but it rained a lot up there um so the uh, landslide slid and all of a sudden it's like ah, it's not rideable and there's one big rock that's like you know size of a king size bed and three times as thick mm-hmm. that we thought well if we just like loosen this one a little bit you know it'll slide down it'll make a good you know edge of the trail but it's kind of on like a edge you know where it was going to go and and i remember getting a rock bar on it and get we got it to move about six inches down um but my wife was there kind of spotting for us and she said stop 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 because the whole hillside above it was moving with it Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah we don't want to put something into the highway because that would certainly stop work on the trail (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so we left it there and it's still it's that's there and there's i don't know that i mean in in times you know sometimes in some of the work you know smaller rocks have gotten away um and there's a lot of trees down there that'll stop catch them yeah i don't know that i've ever witnessed anything big going down there's a couple perch that it's like, ooh man, that would make it. Um, but yeah, I never really wanted to roll stuff off the edge of that. Did you ever do any other type of trail resurrection projects other than the Flume Trail? Um, no, I mean, I was soon after I quit racing, I was on the Rim Trail board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I did that for seven or eight years. Mark Kimbrough, the Ranger put me on that and uh or he asked me to be on it and then uh at first i was the only mountain biker on the thing and it was when the rim trail was just going into when it was going to be completed Mm -hmm. so um it was nice tambo wasn't real active at the time and it was nice to have like you know in the in the premier trail at the time around the lake to have somebody that you know rode a bike to be involved with it did you have a hand then in the section from meadows to tunnel creek no who laid that section of trail out um that was forest service that was forest yeah okay and that was like a big it ended up being a big contentious section because it was one the most fun to ride it's Um, really a great because it was the least amount of climbing out of the get-go so it it was and then the forest service would put a like a a post in the ground with a sign that said no bikes and then it wouldn't take you know more than a week and that sign would be like 100 feet down the hill <laughs> and uh and then on the rim trail you know committee which we worked with i was on the trails and i ended up being the trails chairman for the rim trail and at the time it was getting contentious where the forest service people in charge at the time didn't want bikes on it uh, the mountain bikers obviously wanted it because it was such a cool section and uh and so at one of our retreats for the rim trail the like the half the of the rim trail board was going to leave and the um and all the equestrians were going to leave if it was open to bikes like forest service actually came to the rim trail and said what do you guys want you know we're the landowner but we want to do what the people working on the trail kind of want you know out of respect Mm -hmm. and so then the the half the board was going to quit and then in this retreat i just kind of threw it out there saying what about every other day it's open to bikes that was and your suggestion that was your suggestion yeah. wow and i'd done i'd been to um i didn't come up with the idea i was doing a clinic in salt lake and there was a section of trails on the 
north side of Salt Lake, like right above the city, mm-hmm. that was odd day, even day. And I had just done a clinic there. So I saw that like, wow, this might be just kind of grasping for straws of like an idea. And everybody was okay with it. And so all of a sudden the board stayed intact. Like how could they say no when it's like, you know, you, you don't get that trail the whole time. You know, you get it every day anyway. You, you should share, but you should maybe, you know, get it all to yourself, I guess. Um, I, my thought at the time was like in, oh, five years, this will go away. They'll see all mountain bikers are great. So then we'll get full access. Well, you can see that that's, that we haven't got full access. Um, yeah. Hey, they, they still have the extra day of the, of the month. Right. Yeah. They still get the, the yeah. <laughs> like, today. like today. Today, yeah. Today, yeah. today and tomorrow. The yeah. double odd day. Yeah. yeah. The double, double odd day. Oh, that's I, right. I, yeah. Shoot. I, I gripe about that oh, one. Oh man, the double odd. <laughs> I, I write it a lot. So. <laughs> It, in the new in the new forest plan coming out, I've got a like a proposal for him. I've already sent it to him twice, but I'm going to send it to the Forest Service again. I, I'll say I, I ride that trail almost more than any other trail in Tahoe, and the, yeah. the, it works great. Yeah, I mean, I, you still have some hikers on the days on the mm-hmm. even days that are not happy to see you, but we do our best to just sort of kill them with kindness yeah. and really sort of you know put a good smile on everybody's face. Yeah, uh, I ride. I, I saw you have it too. Those the timber bike bells. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us over here we ride with the timber bike bells. We can turn it on and yeah, off. The when hands we need free, it. Yeah, the hands-free, and it works so well on that yeah. section of trail. It yeah, really they just don't well. want to be startled, and yeah. I, I think that's yeah, been it's fair. It's been all along my it's contention fair. that you know that that's one of the biggest things that has turned like the hiking community against the riding community is that feeling of being startled Correct. from behind is mm-hmm. bad. I agree. I totally agree. And with I, that. it's like a you know. I don't know if it's, you know, ancient whatever in your genes that, you know, when that happens, you're, you're, you're going to get eaten by a saber yeah. tiger or something. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yep. And, and the only thing I thought of, like in the bike industry, somebody needs to build a bell that's like the cry of a hawk, you know, like an electronic thing. And I was, I was, <laughs> okay, I'd use that. I was walking behind some people to go somewhere in the meadows and on my phone, that's what my ringtone was. And it went off when I was like 10 feet behind them and they stopped looked up looked around and i played along and said hi i don't know where that was i you know, see it over here but it lifted these two hikers that were unaware of me coming in behind them and you're gonna startle them and i was walking um and it all of a sudden was like wow they lifted their eyes they looked around that would yeah. be a cool bike bell if you come in then you could join the hikers and look for hawks you know that aren't there i've got a free <laughs> i've got a free hub uh it's kind of like an I. It's, I don't think it was an I nine, but it, I can't remember what it was. But it was super loud, and it sounded like a rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've startled a few people where they're around the corner from me, and I'm freewheeling, and they're like, and I hear them yell out, "Rattlesnake!" There's right. And I come around <laughs> yeah. the corner and I'm like, "Hi." Yeah. Yeah. You figure you could have the bell that has the hawk thing, and if they still don't hear it, you, just go straight to the cougar snarl. <laughs> and if they're gonna get. If they're going to get it woken out of their uh, trance, then you may as well do it right. Right. As long as they're not wearing their ear pods. Yeah. Or or, or have a squirt gun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We encountered a a nice lady on the trail with a squirt gun that she said it was for squirting. uh, Her dog. Well, she said mountain bikers. Did you see? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I I asked her. I was like, what's... (laughs) We rode up on him with a bike bell. Yeah. And, And... and I, I saw the gun and I'm like, oh my gosh, this trail Karen has a gun. <laughs> and, and I had to ask her. It was an like, even day, man. It was yeah. an even day. And I was like, what's the gun for? And she's like, squirting mountain bikers. And I was like, that was a, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. Then you need like, to wear your own gun so like, you well, can just have a like nice day. squirt back. Like, like Wild West draw. Now, 
Max, anyway. you you started the uh, the shuttle company uh, at what in what year? When did you start like shuttling people? I think it was ninety nine. Okay, and the only and you were you were at the time at you're not you weren't where you are now here in Incline at right. Tunnel Creek. You were over at Spooner, right? Right. So you, people would ride here and you'd pick them up. Yeah. Okay. You'd pick them up here or no, at, at so the bottom at, of Tunnel Creek? At the it? start where we started it. That's um, I remember. And we'd been running the... Oh, they'd ride from here. No, no. We were um, we were running the cross-country ski area in the winter. So when I quit racing, you know, I was a mountain biker. And so talked to that same ranger, you know, about, hey, how, to, how about if we rent bikes and maybe do a shuttle? This is Mark Kimbrough? Mark Kimbrough. Okay. And yep. where we um, would pick them up is where the dirt road... It's kind of it right at where the tunnel it's is. It's where the now. under the new tunnel, the new the under, underpass. Yeah, right there. Is. Gotcha. And then okay. so we had a little yep. place we'd set logs up to um, let people sit on, and and you know the 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 bad thing was you know you show up right when you watch the trailer drive away, away. And, and we were we were there <laughs> hourly, so we were yeah. yeah we were there every hour, but you know pretty nice you could stash your bike there and go swimming for an hour, you know, yeah. and come back, you know, it's not like we're not the worst place to be. No, it's not the worst place to get stuck. And then it was just uh, randomly one day a guy came in and said, hey, I bought part of the Ponderosa Ranch. And it was Craig, you know, my current landlord. Um, and he said, you should pick people up at my place. And I said, okay. And I remember him saying, well, you didn't have to think about that. And I go, I've been dreaming about that. Yeah. And yeah, he said, so you own like where the stables is? He goes, yeah, I own that five acres now. Um, one of the sons of the Ponderosa Ranch owners owned this and he sold it to Craig. And uh, and so we started picking people up, you know, like what is now the cafe right on the front porch. Yeah. And it was really, it was great. You know, we had our own little parking lot to turn around in. It was off the highway. It was awesome. And we did that four or five years. And then uh, Craig threw out the idea of, you know, possibly moving the bike shop down here. And that's where we were kind of in transition with state parks and renewing our lease with the ski area. And... Um, it would, the winters were getting so funny with we'd have years where there's like no snow and then yeah. you'd get years too much and then it would get rained away and what seemed to be in the first you know 10 years kind of stable-ish weather was seemed to be getting weirder yeah and so we opted out we ran the skier for 27 years and uh and then when we moved down here to do something in the winter we started the cafe um and then rent went did the bike shop down here and part of the reason for the bike shop was we knew he wanted some to bring somebody in here with bikes and we figured if it wasn't us whoever was here would put us out of business you know because it's a much better setup here right. you know is to right. take people to the start and they ride back at their own speed back to their car and yeah and moving here did that coincide too with you running shuttles to the tahoe meadows for the rim trail on on even days yeah on even days <laughs> on yeah even exactly days. yeah we didn't do that for a number of years to start with and then we and then you added yeah that. then we added okay. that when did you when did you add what year did you add that do you remember it's probably 2004 or 5 something like that oh okay so it was not far after it was constructed that you started not that doing far, it yeah so that kind and of was... i think we didn't at first because now that i think about it, i don't think it was constructed yet because that's about right when i was on the board from like that's they had they had late 90s it, yeah. into okay. like yeah. when they finished it they had the celebration there it was like 2006 or 7 or 8 or something like that and when you moved here or, or even when you were running the shuttles from spooner were, were was there anybody else in tahoe doing so, that that type of ecotourism or 
you know, or, or renting anything that, because this, what, what you've created here is a very unique form of ecotourism that's been extremely sustainable for yeah, Tahoe and, 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 it, for the, and for the visitors. Um, no, because I don't know that there's any other trails with facilities that mm -hmm. are, that would draw the people that this does to make it go. Yeah. And yeah. how many people a year do this? you know you know on the um on the flume like total people using the flume i've heard everything from you know like 30 or 40,000 people cross it a year um wow i haven't wow. heard recently you know if that's gone up or down or my feeling is it's kind of stable mm -hmm. and in like shuttles we shuttle oh i don't know five or six thousand people probably a year yeah do you know what like in in perspective kurt how many people does did did Downeyville do when you were there? Uh, when I was working there at, at, at our peak, I think we were like 8,000 8, in the season. Okay. Yeah. So similar. Yeah. I know I read similar. one report where if we combined both of them, we were right about even with Downeyville. Yeah. Other than, you know, this shuttle's like half the length and not nearly the epic drive Downeyville yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were about the same as when you can, you know, combine the Tahoe Rim Trail. When you do both, when you yeah the rim trail and yeah and the flumes we had a ranger so, okay. four service guy asked me once like how could i be okay with myself for you know having you know 30 or forty thousand people um a year do the rim trail you know on my shuttles and i look at him and said you should do the math on that because that doesn't quite work out because it's every other day you only get 90 days so yeah we're given no like and a year like this 3, year, 3,000 people a day on that. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You're off a, you know, a couple decimal points. <laughs> yeah. And a year like this too, we didn't start riding it until the end of yeah, mid to end of July right. for right. the rim trail. It was July. It was July this year. Yeah. yeah it was post 4th of July. Yeah. yeah. Cause we went to the, that cap to Tahoe opening like July 7th or 8th and there was still a huge snow fields at the top. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, since you mentioned that, Kurt, are, are you going to potentially run a shuttle for Cap to Tahoe next year? Um, possibly. You talked about it? That yeah. would be all time. Yeah. We've got to redo so our cool. permit for Nevada transportation. And we're thinking of doing that from something like, you know, the idea would be, and, and what the total thing, you know, kind of the, the result of it all is to do shuttles and everything is to keep maybe a few cars off the road. You know, and then yeah, on, yep. on the flume in particular to get riders going one way instead of out and back. Right. You know, it's it's like in the trail building community here. I wish, and more and more it's getting that way, but people think need to think of loops and not only loops, but like suggested directions of travel on a lot of the loops. So yeah. you see mm -hmm. fewer people out there, especially close to trailheads, and get people going one way because then you don't see near as many people. Right, and, and that's that's kind of been a dream for a while is to have the the end of the flume ride end up on single track, you know, all the way yeah. down, and it's um, difficult terrain. We've I've been hiking it with um, the folks at Tamba, which you know those guys are awesome. We wouldn't have near the amount of riding in this basin that we do now without those guys, um, and uh, the Great Basin Institute that's providing a lot of the labor, and and they're building uh, you know big chunks of the trail as well. And we've been like scouting the line for the last three or four years, um, <clears throat> trying to you know lock it in of where it's going to be best and uh, you know to make it ride well. And the main thing is is kind of a, a safety deal for you know a way out of the park is to kind of separate some of the users. A lot of the people walk up Tunnel Creek now because it's so pretty to get to 
you know, the little uh, monkey rock out overlook, you know, and then even farther up into the backcountry. And then it's, it's kind of crowded for um, the hikers going up and then when you have bikes coming down through it. So the single track will separate those uses, mm-hmm. you know, really nice. Yeah. And how will that interact with the Cap de Tahoe Trail? Um, that one, um, I mean, is if you're, you know, heading that way in the morning from incline, um, you know, before too much traffic's coming at you, you know, you'd ride up it into the park and then gain, uh, be a lot better than riding up Tunnel Creek Road. Right, um, right. And then you, you know, gain the Tahoe Rim Trail over there and then kind of join in that, you know, the full capital to Tahoe the way I've ridden it so far is from Tahoe Meadows on the Rim Trail, and that opening like 15 miles of single track is like really nice. Mm-hmm. And then you hit the um, the Cap Tahoe Trail, yeah. Um, and then it's like, hey, Dakota. I think Dakota <laughs> might have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> she she might. <laughs> I'll, I'll let her out. We okay. can take it. Yeah, yeah. Just take her out back there. And, uh, <laughs> you got it. You got it. Dakota's been so good. Max's dog. She's so quiet, but you know. That's okay, Dakota. You're good. When you got to go, you got to go. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, the, uh, the way to ride the Cap to Tahoe is from Tahoe Meadows, and you get 15 miles of single track, some of the best around on the rim trail, and then you head on the next 15 miles down to Carson. And the times I've done it, it brings it in at around 31 miles of single track. There, after this week, there will be no double track in it. And there's 6,000 feet of descending, you know, with a couple thousand feet of climbing. Wow. And just an incredible trail. Yeah. Yeah, we had a great time riding the Cap to Tahoe Trail. And I think having a shuttle from Mount Rose Meadows into, like, finishing in Carson would just be amazing. You know, we've got, we've got to modify some stuff to do the one from Carson. And we've got, you know, all the, like all the shuttle operators, you know, you've got... The insurance in place you've got the van sitting there yeah and to add something that cool to save people from even getting in their car to do that you know from down in carson city would be kind of awesome yeah yeah and how many miles is that new trail that's being um bypassing the tunnel creek uh jeep road i think it's about three and a half um okay. and kind of the cool thing about that too is on the other side of the park um there's kind of two things in the wings of you know for the future as far as planning trails in the park and i guess i'm gonna i get to be part of this discussion come fall is adding another trail that will avoid the north canyon road on the other side Mm -hmm. um if not you know having the hiking trail now like available to bikes yeah well what inspires me is you've been able to carve a career and a life out of uh a trail and i think that's pretty cool like the effort that you put in and 40 years ago to resurrect a trail you and your wife have been able to build kind of a life around it it seems yeah pretty much i mean it's it's um it's kind of amazing because that wasn't the intention you yeah. know the yeah the the start of the trail and to build it and start was totally selfish you know as i just wanted a loop to ride yeah. and no thought of shuttles any kind of business let it sit probably should have started it earlier but i was bike racing yeah and then afterwards like well i need something to do and wow look at all these people riding up the road we got to change that yeah. Um, you know, and then uh, my landlord Craig's idea of like, well, you know, that a trail like that needs to have beer at the end of it. So there should be a cafe, <laughs> you know, and and good things come from simple ideas, I think. And well, yeah. Doing OK on that front. <laughs> <laughs> well, trails, I always like to say, are selfish and selfless. You know, I 
a lot of the trail work that I do is for the same reason because I want to ride it. I right. want to go ride it. But the bonus is you get to share it with your friends and then your friends share it with their friends. And before you know it, you've got this iconic trail that is known around the world and you've been able to create a business and a career and a life around it. And that's just amazing. It is. Yeah, I kind of, I guess, have to pinch myself every once in a while that, you know, I never really think of it that way. But yeah, it is. It's it's uh, it's worked out pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, Tom is out with the dog. Um, but, and I'm looking at the, the time here and we're coming to a close, but I wanted to uh, ask you, like we always ask our guests, um, mind the track. It's the name of the podcast. When you hear the, the phrase mind the track, what comes to mind? What do you think of? You know, help build it, help maintain it. Um, ride on it nicely it's like just take care of the trail you know take care of the trails that we all get to use and enjoy yeah awesome well max we really appreciate your patience through our technical difficulties and and dakota too yeah. it seems yeah, like dakota's dakota. like it's time to go for yeah, a walk yeah. we're done here yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so we really appreciate your time max thank you for your dedication um congratulations on 40 years of the flume trail it's, it's monumental a, incredible yeah, achievement you. We're, we're all indebted to you. To You're kind of like the grandfather or the father of mountain biking in Tahoe. It predates a lot of other things that happened here. You had the vision early on, and we're all uh, benefiting from it. So thank you. All right. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Max. All right, Max. And there you have it, our interview with Max Jones, uh, editing and audio glitches and snafus aside it was dog, an amazing dog pee break yeah poor poor dakota needed to she was actually the the person in the 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 organism in the room that blew the whistle like enough we're done i gotta go home i'm hungry i gotta go to the bathroom we're done <laughs> so, we should have put her in charge of the recording device to, yeah i know yeah she would have rescheduled she would have said we're gonna do this a different day but we got her done. Um, so anyway, big thanks to uh, thanks Max. to Max Jones and and the and Chad and Evan at Tunnel Creek Cafe for having us in again, um, and to Tamba for having us along on the ride yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, having and at Craig Olson and Tamba, yep. and it was a really cool event. And to be in the presence of you know some core lords and some big donors and some people who are making things happen in lake tahoe and, and for trails and for access it's it was it was cool to be included in that episode 19 with max jones the history of the flume trail hope you enjoyed it and until next time get out there get deep and put your mind in the track <laughs>